And so especially those of you that weren't here last week, if I could press you into service to come up here and just uh, share. So if you look at this, this scripture, we're in, uh, you know, we've been in this study on the Holy Spirit. And so we got to the point where when you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. <laughs> Let all things be done for edification. So we just took it literally last week that simply because you're here, you have something. And so if I could invite somebody to come up and start, and it could be somebody that was here last week, or it could be one of you that wasn't here last week. You like Dan? I like Dan too. How many people like Dan? We all like Dan. <laughs> all right, let me think here. I got to formula. I got to formulate something that I have a vague thing in my head, but I have to see what it is. Um, this is actually for Larry. Okay, give me a moment. I just want to say there's a lot to you that's, uh, um, you have a level of servanthood for the caliber of a man that you are, uh, intellectually, theologically, spiritually. Um, you're willing to, um, you're willing to go where the Lord sends you without the visible praise. And I think that speaks volumes about who you are. And I hope you are content, and I think you are in the delight that God has for you. I think you're growing in that and seeing that. And I just want to encourage you that God really does see you as um, one of his favorite sons. <laughs> so there you go. All right, you get to pick somebody. I get to pick somebody. All right, I'll pick Becky, just because. <laughs> I know her, so it's, you know. I was. It was the fake. He faked it out. Faked me out. Oh gosh. Uh, just let uh, deeper places to not strive. That's where I'm at right now. The Lord is just going to deeper and deeper and deeper levels of places where I have expectations on myself or expectations on others, and I strive to meet those expectations, and then He says. Mm. Really? We're, we're still striving? I mean, he, he actually doesn't talk to me that way. He talks to me very sweetly and says, you're striving. You don't have to. That kind of, that's how he talks to me. So that's where I am. Yeah. Anybody volunteer? Okay. Zoomers, I'm going to uh, ask any of you to share it in a minute too, if you can. Just again, anything, uh, anything the Lord said, a prophetic word, any insight the Lord's given you, just something's on your heart, or a kind word like Dan gave me, that's pretty sweet. I shared this already with Larry, so he's heard it, but I think it's for the whole body, all of us. Um, and what it was is I was hiking and going over in my mind something, and basically I was thinking, I wonder if this person who showed up at our Tuesday night Bible study from Kenya on Zoom his name's Moses, whether he'd eventually be disappointed when he found out that there was 30 of us or something like that. And immediately, God showed me, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and it doesn't matter the size. In fact, he won't be disappointed. He'll be delighted. So 
We're where we need to be. Amen. There it is. Praise God. Now let's see if uh, anybody on Zoom able to share. Yeah, Al. That's good. It was it was funny on on Thursday. I was sitting down with Papa, and he, he, he the the verse of the day was out of two Timothy three fourteen to seventeen, which it says, "But but thou conti- but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them." And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished into all good works, and what I wrote that day was, "Wow, what a verse for today!" But continue in the things which we have learned and been assured of. There is now no condemnation to them which walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. So many things can easily distract us. We often think too much, and he says, "Lean not on your own understanding." Our past hurts can often dictate who we are. We are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Our circumstances can affect the way we feel. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We can say we don't hear from him, we, but we have the mind of Christ. Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in him, and he lives in us and we in him. We can feel overwhelmed, things are too hard, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And then I said, just as Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert, so are we. We are to answer those thoughts, lies, twisted truths by the truth of the gospel. Understand who we are. We are not of this world. We are simply ambassadors in this realm. So that's what, yeah, that was a wow for me. Well, well, it's funny because when Papa gives me something like that, I think, "Oh, what am I in for, Papa? What am I about to, 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 uh, to you know?" Because he he often gives me a word and then he 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 launches me into it. But but and just to just to confirm the word, he teaches me, and, and it's like when when you teach somebody, you show them something and then you make them do it. But I think it's just being settled. It's a bit like what was said just a second ago. It's it's okay to be me. And I think that's the most amazing part. In, in amongst my turmoil of life, which people would say, Al, what's, what's gone in your life? And it's, I was talking to my beautiful son, Nicholas, yesterday. And, and we've had probably more go on in our life in the last four years than most people do in a lifetime. However... Uh, I wrote also, it, it doesn't, I, earlier on the week, I said, you know, everything that happens to us doesn't dictate who we are. All it does is by going through it, it reinforces who I am in him. And I think, you know, our circumstances, how we react to it, sometimes I'm not reacting real well, but but he always comes through. Sometimes I'm yelling at God and asking him to 
to change things and and he just he smiles he's got this he's not concerned um but he loves us and i think that's what is probably or more immeasurable than anything else so so this week had to go well it was it was a good week it was wasn't very productive but it was a good week and um and i think yeah we just in him we live and breathe and have our being i think that's you know papa what have you got for me to do today where are you taking me he shifts me out of my comfort zone but occasionally I have a win and i say oh yeah papa we got through that one uh, there's brick walls that have come up you know you think you're moving through something all of a sudden I, I call them brick walls and then all of a sudden he bashes through one and we get a result or we get we get a change and he's like oh yes pup um but it's just him it's a walk with him and that's what enables me to to still function i suppose and still and, and actually not more than function i think this year i've sort of coming alive again and it's just beautiful cool anybody else yeah tommy okay we got a couple lined up here i was gonna i was gonna ask uh if uh, tom or tommy because i know you guys are such microphone hounds <laughs> uh so this week i found out that my uh car that I had gotten in a wreck in March was totaled. And so we just found out this week, and uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit all week was going, provision is made already, don't worry about it, provision is made. And so I'm going, so we're going over all of these list of cars and what I wanted and what we didn't and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, oh, I, I got the one for you. And so it was that learning to rest in the provision of God and allowing him, you know, because it would just creep up going, I have like less than a few days to find a car because we have this rental car that leaves us in, in just a few days. And so uh, so last night um, I was looking through all these oh, cars and cars and cars and cars and nothing came up that was a good price or the right mileage or any of that kind of stuff. And I just kept getting, don't worry, I got this. And I went, yeah, I know you got it, but uh, like, can you tell me where you got it? Because you're like hiding it, and I can't find it. I guess, don't worry about it. So I thought, well, I would just walk over to my daughter's, because I found this one little car. And so I walked over to my daughter's, which is only a block away. And so I said, hey, I'm going to come show you this car. And so she said, well, so I sat there, and within two minutes, she said, well, have you tried this place and that place, and she clicked on it. There was this car. We ended up buying it today. Wow. At low, low mileage, affordable that we could we could get into. Of course, it's in Fayetteville, North Carolina, but but that's okay because my um, uh, friend that I have over there uh, said that she would go and look at it and try it out and all that kind of stuff, and we ended up buying it today. So we're going to fly out Wednesday and go get it. And it was just like, he said, see, I told you. And I went, yeah, I know, I know, you tell me. But but I have this thing in my um, windshield or in my car. It's a little saying that provision is always made before the need is recognized. 
And he said, you say that a lot, but you just need to rest in that because yeah. you'll just trip over it. You don't have to strive. You don't have to worry about it. It'll just be there. So it was kind of cool. I thought, yeah, I like that. So. That's very cool. Yeah, man, come on up. Uh, I don't know if, if it struck you this way, but for me, I'm sitting there listening, and I go, well, that's amazing that you can just keep hearing God even while you're a little bit anxious about it. But when the Lord says provision's there, how often do we think He could pull a car from Fayetteville? He's got a car in mind, you know, 2,000 miles away. And, and we would never think in those terms. We're hustling around close. So that's pretty cool. That's a great testimony. Hi. Uh, <laughs> um, earlier this week, I was out on our deck. I, a lot of you have been up to our house, but our deck is out over the edge of a mountain. And, uh, you know, for many years I worked, and so we never got to really enjoy it. So lately, now that it's warm, I go out there every morning and take some deep breaths and just allow the Lord to kind of bring me into peace. Anyway, earlier this week, I was out on the deck, and I was doing my breathing thing, and the Lord said, look up. So I looked up, and there's very high, there's this puffy little cloud, and um, and he said, look closer, and I could see an eagle up there, and he's flying and uh, making a circle, and he would go in the cloud and come out, and then there was two of them, and then they were doing a circle, and then there was three of them, oh my gosh. and so I just sat there for the, or stood there for the longest time and watched the eagles as they went in and out of the cloud and finally they disappeared. But they were very, very, very high. They were just this little black speck. But anyway, it was really sweet that the Lord brought that to my attention. And then the next day I was just kind of hanging out and I said, well, what was that about? You know, because I just love all the animals and all the birds. But any, anyway, he brought me to this scripture and it says, for those who wake on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So, anyway, Amen. that was sweet. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Maybe one more, Pastor? Yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, our family had the chance to do a little traveling this week. We were in Minnesota on a business trip for me, but the family joins me and, and uh, a couple of a little vacation. And um, I'm not sure if any of you remember the last time you really had a, a painful dental situation, but I have a tooth in the back that has kind of fractured. And so I had a cap put on it recently and uh, over the trip, it, it really began to hurt. And so we were able to get some antibiotics and some painkillers and things like that to at least make it, uh, make, well, maybe functional. But um, as we were in our hotel room last night, uh, it dawned on me just the importance of, especially for our children, to give them opportunity to minister. And, uh, and so if you ever have kids pray for you, it's a pretty unique thing. And uh, just to listen to what they have to say uh, as they talk. And, you know, and our kids, they'll tell you they struggle with wondering if God even hears them. And it's typical things that sometimes we adults struggle with. And, uh, and so, uh, but when they pray, especially when they see you know, a daddy that's hurting, uh, they're moved. And uh, a lot of, a lot of great miracles in the new Testament were done because Jesus was moved. And, uh, and so, so anyway, real quick, let's see here. Can I change the room? Is that this one? Uh, here's, uh, here's our boy Kramer and 
Sarah and Anna. And so I had the two oldest, uh, Bray. I think Sarah was uh, spending some time with, with Amy at the time. And so, so anyway, just, it was just a good reminder for me, uh, to give room for other people to minister to us. And, and it's not selfishness. It's, 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 uh, allowing them a chance to, to express what's, uh, the God inside of them and, 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 um, receive from that. So thanks for listening. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Well, there was some stuff about waiting and trusting. That's probably something that you could affirm almost any time, any situation, huh? So, Father, well, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Lord, we're going to look at the Scripture real quick tonight, and we're going to see admonitions that all of us have read before. But I pray that that even these testimonies... Uh, of your involvement with us, in us, uh, the way you see things, that we would realize that, that it's okay to take a look at this stuff with fresh eyes. And that when we do, we're going to see you more clearly in the midst of it. More clearly. More present. And I thank you for that. I thank you. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to get going on this. So we've been in this Holy Spirit series for a while. And uh, last week, we just barely touched on the first part of, of this because we had a, a, a lot of good testimonies in time. But uh, I just wanted to reflect back. Paul talks about the spiritual gifts in 12 then he talks about how important love is in 13. Then in 14, he lays it out that, that these are, in fact, and should be a regular part of our lives and certainly a regular part of the church service. So in church, church life. So that's what we're talking about. And there's some, there's some instruction here. And the reason I included verse 39 down there is, uh, I've been in places in church where these verses were interpreted sort of as correction, which I think that they can be legitimately, and comparison. And so it, it was almost like uh, tongues got prohibited and prophecy got exalted and blah, blah, blah. Let's just try to take a look at what it really says. And Paul's going to admonish us to let these things be a big part of our lives. So uh, we touched on this last week, but this is... So I'll just run through the whole 14th chapter. Yes, maybe. Bye. Hurry. Uh, I don't have to hurry. Right? You don't have to hurry. That's right. There's no reason to wait. Matter of fact, I will tell you a story. No, I won't. I'll just do this. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. So a couple of things I want to point out before we move through this one. Paul is creating these emphasis in what he's saying because he's thinking about the assembly of the church, us getting together and us being edified one another. So the stories that we tell, what you guys share, obviously, uh, is a sharing of edification. Tommy, the uh, 
I, I think it's, I, I do have to comment too, I think it's sweet that the very thing you have on the dash of your car, is that what you said, that's where it was? That that was what the Lord was proving to you through the whole incident of the car wreck and everything else. That's really amazing. Okay, anyway, edification. So, edification, exhortation, consolation. Here's what those mean. Okidomo is a combination of the word oikos, which is a dwelling, but particularly, for the most part, it speaks of a home, and doma, which is to build. So edification, think of to build, but not just to build any old structure. It can be applied to other architectural structures. I think I mentioned this to those of you here last week. But it does have that home-dwelling concept. So it's a relational, it's a family-oriented kind of word. Edification is building a place where you can live, building a place where you can thrive. Think of it in those terms, and you'll be closer to the original meaning. And then paraklesis. I thought this was super interesting. Exhortation. Paraklesis is from the same family of words, para to come alongside or be uh, near, and kaleo to call, uh, as paraclete is. In other words, what the Holy Spirit is called. So it's this idea of imploring or consoling with an invitation with a relational component to it. In other words, come. Let us reason together. Come, you know, uh, this is the way, walk in it. That's exhortation by the Holy Spirit and by one another. And so that's what prophecy is supposed to do. And then the third one, consolation, is one of my favorite Greek words. It has the same prefix, para, meaning near, besides. And muthos is a tale or a story. And so the way the definition shakes out is to, the act of emboldening, emboldening another in belief or in their course of action with a story. It's just really cool. And stories embody the flow of something. You know, usually the flow of characters or the flow of life or the flow of conditions. And so prophecy speaks for edification, exhortation, and consolation. What's missing there that is often, maybe we could even say too often, associated with prophecy? Foretelling. Trying to tell the future. I'm not saying that there's no such thing as prophetic foretelling. There is. I believe that. But I think that we lose the relational component of what Paul's talking about if we assume that all prophecy is foretelling. And so, uh, you know, your encouragement for, uh, for all of us to trust the Lord and then the, the actual testimony of how he was able to provide your need right here all the way three or four states over is just incredible, you know. The world's not as big to God as it is to us, you know. So anyway, that's, does that make sense? I just thought that was kind of important for us to know. So the next verse goes on and says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing sound, if they do not produce a distinction in notes, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? And then he gives this example. For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? And you guys know that... uh, Bugling was used a lot. Uh, different note series told you to get ready. Different note series told you to charge. You know, that type of thing. So, obviously Paul is, is talking about this edification being in the context of understanding. Edification of being able to know what's going on. So, he's not against tongues. We'll see that in just a second. So also, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and there's no kind without meaning. 
If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be as one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So telling testimonies, sharing prophetic words, words of knowledge, uh, exhortations, uh, like you did, Al, share the scripture that, that's meaningful to you. Uh, Jeremy, the idea, just a testimony of submitting in prayer. These are amazing realities that edify everybody. But I don't want us to lose touch with tongues. So reflecting back on, on uh, the discussion about the gifts in the flow of this First Corinthians thing that Paul's teaching, but to each one of us the ma- is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So that's something that I want to remind us of. And I didn't start with a review this time. I kind of did on that one thing, but, uh, but it was because Richard's gone and I don't, don't have to. But next week we'll have a big review. So it's really back, I think. Anyway, I do want to review this point. What we're talking about is not some abstract gift that is a functionality that belongs to the church or spiritual life. We are literally talking about the Holy Spirit's presence functioning in your life and in mine. And that's important for us to keep in mind. This is, as much God in us and with us as it was when Jesus was in uh, Judea or in Samaria and he was talking to the woman at the well. So we have to think in terms of relationship. We have to think that when we're exercising a gift, when we're sharing a testimony about what God has done or a thought that he's put in us or a praise that he's given or something like that, we are literally manifesting the very presence of God with us. Emmanuel. Keep that in mind. It's a big deal. It's obviously a big deal. The creator of the universe is messing around in our lives doing good things. That's pretty incredible when you think about it. Pretty incredible. Okay, therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Okay, so this is where I want you to see. Even though Paul is emphasizing cognitive gifts over the sort of non-cognitive Tongues, he's not prohibiting tongues, he's not speaking against tongues. He says, let the one who speaks in tongue pray that he may interpret. That word is diaramanuio, something like that. That's not exactly how you pronounce it. But it means to explain thoroughly or translate for clarity and understanding. So obviously, if you wanted to speak in a known tongue, like Spanish or Swahili or German or something that the majority of us don't speak, and you translated it, that would be the same function of interpretation according to the definition. Or, if you're going to pray in an unknown tongue, then you seek to interpret. And that interpret is to explain thoroughly or translate for clarity or understanding. Now, that doesn't take the mystery away from this gift of interpretation coupled with tongues, but it just... I, I, I want us to keep in mind that it's a concrete thing, and I think it... I, I believe it could be a part of our lives. It could be a part of your life. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. <clears throat> what is the outcome then? I will pray. Now, Paul is applying this personally. In, in another place, he says, you know, I pray in tongues more than you all. So he's not against tongues. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing in the spirit, or with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if I bless you in spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not, <coughs> does not know what you're saying? Excuse me. So, I'm not too worried about the form 
that your exploration or your obedience, and I'm not assuming that you don't already pray in tongues and interpret and all that stuff, but I'm not that concerned with the form that it takes. I just want to encourage you that you can do this. That you can... So like... uh when we got going in this study about the Holy Spirit, one of the things that I, I guess in prayer from Jenna up front, and one of the manifestations of that is I start praying in tongues more, personally. And so now I'm kind of admonished, well, I don't usually do this because I'm content to just be edified while I pray in tongues, but what is to prevent me from saying, okay, Holy Spirit, what was that about? What were you saying? What was I saying? What were you inspiring me to say? What was the mystery that I was speaking. So I'm just going to encourage you to start asking that. And then in a minute, we're going to get into the idea of how we discipline this in church, which of all the, of all the rowdy things that I've had to discipline, this one certainly has never gotten out of hand in recent times. So I'm hoping it will soon and we'll have to actually apply some discipline. That'd be good. Um, what's the outcome? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with my mind. I will sing in the spirit. I will sing in mind. I just want to encourage us to do that. Okay. So the next time you decide to pray in tongues, just give yourself a few minutes afterwards and ask the Lord to let you know what you said and see what He does. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. And again, Paul's talking in the context of church now. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infant. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen, says the Lord. I don't pretend to understand all that second half means, and I'm even more ignorant about the next thing coming up, but I'll share that. But anyway, Paul's not saying don't speak in tongues. He's not saying don't speak in tongues in church. Okay, I think we need to speak in tongues more. I think we need to make room for speaking in tongues in church more. So... So then tongues are for a sign. Notice my little uh, subheading. Confusing instructions. <laughs> Has anybody ever been confused by this passage of Scripture? Yeah, okay. I, uh, I, would, I would edit myself if I had written this. But I'm not suggesting that Paul should. I just would. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and they all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Now, I'm not confused by reading that because it makes perfect sense when you read the half of it, but what I don't understand is how that goes with the part that says tongues is a sign not to those who believe but believers and prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers but those who believe. Because then he just goes and he gives the example of that. So, if anybody has any thought on that, we're going to have a special moment of silence at our question and comment time at the end to see what your thoughts are because I'm wide open to it. Um, I don't know how to explain it. The second half makes sense. Yes, Meg. One of the words up there that really frustrates me. Oops, yeah, I think I turned it. It's good. One of the words that really frustrates me, because Tim and I work with couples, and 
expressing themselves is very important. The word mad there bugs me. Oh. What does that really mean? Oh, uh, gosh. What does the word mean? I'm looking at it. Yeah, crazy means uh, un, unintelligible, uh, not make it insane. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty severe. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough confusion. Let's go on something else. What is the outcome, then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So we've got that theme down here, right? We're supposed to do what we do for edification. Now, do you think that what we shared today was edifying? I mean, I was edified by everything that was said, actually. Again, what is edification? It's building up a house where you can live, like a home. Making a house a home. Building a house that is a home. Yeah, I can live in, in uh, the encouragement that Dan gave me. I can live in the testimony of Tommy in her car. I can live in knowing that we're in the right spot. That helps. That helps. I can live knowing that God takes the, the creatures and encourages us. We've had that happen at home a couple times recently. What we've been doing. Uh, okay. Uh, so when you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, and interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, the question that I've had ever since I was a young Assemblies of God preacher is, how do we know whether there's an interpreter present or not? Well, you have to try, right? You have to try. And so that's partly the goal that I want you to have in your head, which is to explore and see if you can interpret. Because if you can interpret and you're here, it could open up a whole other avenue of ministry with tongues for our church. We even thought one time, I thought about having a little series of flags over there, little like pennant flags. And if we knew that a person who was gifted in interpretation was there, Oink, I would put the interpretation flag up. And if the flag was up, you could feel free to give a message in tongues. Not. Now, I don't know. We never did it. But I want to I wanna press this a little bit because, again, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, when a person prays in an unknown tongue, they speak mysteries. We need mysteries. We were talking today, uh, Dan and Alan and I, before the service, about the nature of things politically and governmentally and culturally and socially. And... uh it's just an enigma, a lot of things are to me. I mean, it's not a mystery. It's like it's just something that makes no sense. And there's got to be unseen things behind what's going on that God is at work in. And I want to, I want to know that. I want to see that. So again, edification, exhortation, consolation. How many of you could use a little consolation after you watch the news if you dare give yourself permission to do so? Which I don't do. I watch it in three minute blips because that's my, I have an attention. Chan, uh, span of a child. Okay, but if there is no interpreter, you must keep silent in the church. This always sounded like a really harsh instruction that put the onus on the speaker of tongues, when in fact the interpreter may just have not 
manned up, you know, or womaned up. So anyway, I want us to explore that, okay? It's the Holy Spirit. Again, He's here to create a place for us to receive from God. Remember what it says at the beginning of, of uh, 1 Corinthians. It says that uh, eyes not seen and ears not heard what God's plan for those that love Him, but He has revealed them to us by His Spirit. One of the ways He may in fact be wanting to do that in our assembly right here with the limited number of folks we have is to create that prophetic combination of tongues and interpretation. So I want you to give a risk. So if you speak in tongues, if you don't speak in tongues, uh, ask the Lord. If you do speak in tongues, the next time you do, ask the Lord to say, what did I just say? Yeah, Becky? Oh, no, no. I'm just trying to put some puzzle pieces together um, with this interpretation thing because I think in my mind I've always thought, oh, that's only for the really holy people. Mm -hmm. But um, a few verses back, he's really admonishing them to, to be mature. So these guys must not be very mature. Could be. So mm -hmm. the question is, you know, like this group of people, I, I consider this group of people what I've observed. Pretty mature. Pretty mature. So that gives a little bit, I mean, at some level, we're Christians, been Christians for a long time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of us. So that interpretation, it takes some of the scary out of the interpretation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's really, well, the fact that it's the Holy Spirit too. I mean, we're not talking about some abstract deal. We're talking about the God who loves us and who saved us and who sent Jesus into the world and who raised him from the dead and who makes him live in our hearts, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, Dan. Yeah, I think the interpretation is actually one of the scariest because, and risky because we don't really get real feedback. Mm -hmm. So I can prophesy to you mm -hmm. and you'll go, ooh, I like that. That's mm -hmm. good. I think that sounds, you know, whatever. And I get the feedback of, okay, that's probably from God. That's probably good. The interpretation's a lot harder because <laughs> you kind of got to feel it. Yeah. I had my daughter once challenge me. She's like, I'm going to go pray in tongues. Here, you start interpreting. I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I just, it's like, hmm, what am I thinking? Or what am I feeling? And I started saying something. She goes, I think that might be it, you know? So how'd that make you feel? Good. And I think part of that is we have to learn to grow in the gifts in a risk-free environment. Yeah. Where we're willing to say to each other, eh, that's probably not it, or yeah, I think you really got yeah. something there, and be comfortable with saying, eh, it's the pizza talking, or something like that, and go, let's try again, and we'll do something yeah. else, but have an environment where we're free to say, okay, or maybe we'll try to listen to that, or maybe that sounds good, or let's just kind of hang on to that over here, <clears throat> but be free enough with each other to say, yeah. it's a safe place, we're yeah. not gonna, nobody's going to say, you are wrong and you're a false prophet. You know, and I, I don't know if we can make it 100% risk-free because there's that internal feeling of risk. I don't know that we can take that away. But safe space, a place where you're not going to be criticized, judged, people are going to look down their nose. You're not going to go home thinking, man, I wouldn't be thought I was, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think when you grow in the interpretation, I think you're going to, I think you're going to feel it in your gut of, yeah, this really is what God is saying. And you'll do that more and more, I think, is. Again, all the gifts are practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You got to practice. I think so. Yeah. And what if, what if, I've often thought this, what if this whole interpretation thing is kind of an easy way to get into prophecy? Yeah. I, I love just, you know, what you're talking about now. I just remember a couple of weeks back, um, just something that you had mentioned about, like, you know, speaking in tongues, how it was revealing mysteries. And that really resonated with me because 
for probably about eight months now, I have just been sporadically speaking in tongues. And I started thinking, I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, mm-hmm. that's mystery. So then I asked the Lord, well, what are those mysteries? I want to know what, what am I talking about that I'm spending all this time talking about stuff. And he gave me an interpretation immediately. Really? Which leads to this. Praise God. Like, I say, yeah. really? I mean, I'm just admonishing everybody to do it, and I'm <laughs> acting like it I'm is. excited. I, I am excited, though. <laughs> but yeah, it is, it's just just like the same as we hear him. That's the same way that we that the interpretations will okay. just come and just give them that space for that. And anything that would be appropriate to share with the group, or was it personal stuff? Or? Well, it had to do, like, the mysteries of just, like, so much of just this excitement of just the the aspects of the Lord just truly restoring all things, and so like that was like really has been really big on my heart, and I could feel as soon as he told me that's what I was talking about, I get really excited oh, the same kind of excitement in my spirit whenever a song will go in that direction, even if the people singing that song don't know what they're saying right, right. and things like that, but then um. So just where I work, they were encouraging us to speak in tongues and encouraging people, like, you know, if, if you're speaking in tongues, like, come up, we need to have more of this happen, and we'll have someone interpret it. But I had felt this hesitancy where I was like, but Lord, like, a lot of these people, they haven't quite gone in that, there's a certain mindset, a certain process you have to go, I'm like, what if I speak in tongues, and I know, like, I already have an interpretation that I have from it. And I'm relying on them to interpret. And then he told me, he's like, well, what if there's more than one interpretation for when you speak in tongues? So I just kind of present that out there. Like, a, I, I think that can definitely be a possibility as well, where um, there could be more than one interpretation even. It's like more than one level of something that you say. Hmm. Because, uh, because of the depth of the mystery. Yeah. It could be speaking from that. Cool. I just think there's, yeah, come on. I just think, I just think that it's worth the risk uh, in, in a non-risky way place where you're not going to get nailed. I would like to encourage the couples here to do it at home and and create that safe place within their home to be able to one interpret and one, you know, prophesy. Yeah. Well, and I tell a little secret on Tim and Meg. I know for a long time they had a practice where they would pray separately and take notes about it and then compare notes and it was getting uncanny how many times the Lord would speak to the same thing. You could do the same thing. Yeah, you could definitely practice this at home. And, uh, and and it could be just as normal as Dan described it with his daughter. Just as normal, I think. Cool. All right. Uh, so, again, let's just kind of scale back the fear and trepidation about the, the aggressiveness of, uh, and one must interpret, and if there's no interpreter, you've got to keep silent in church. I'm willing to venture there's some people in here the Holy Spirit would use to interpret tongues. And we can at least give it a whirl. Could give it a whirl in just a minute, but <laughs> all right. Uh, a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, and interpretation. Let all things be done for education. So, see, tongue and interpretation is included in the things that he says. When you assemble, one has and another has. So, if we take them seriously, this thing just starts with faith. It just starts with trust that the Holy Spirit is literally with us. When we, where two or more gather my name, there I am in their midst. And being in our midst, he gives us these things. Psalms and teachings and so on and so forth. Uh, do it for education, no problem. If anyone speaks in tongue, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but if there's no interpreter, we've covered that. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. That's an unfortunate translation. I don't really know what would be a better word for it because 
I think it's the right word, but our view of judgment is so harsh and it usually ends up in punishment or something. Uh, the best illustration, if you were here last week, Patricia got on and shared a word that she felt like she, the Lord had for us. And she said, you just need to take this and chew on it. That's what this is talking about. Listen. Yeah, go ahead. So separate, distinguish, discern one thing for another. It does not involve necessarily in any shape condemnation. It can, but that's not the point. The point is, yeah, yeah, just, 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 talk, just think about it. And, uh, does that mean anything to anybody? Yeah, oh, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So again, that's part of making it a safe, safe space. All right. For you can all prophesy one by one. Now, Paul couldn't have been any clearer. How many of you feel qualified to prophesy? Everybody should raise their hand based on that scripture. <laughs> okay. But feelings are a factor. It really is. You know, like, uh, um, I have heard most of you say something prophetic. The inventory of the room and online. I absolutely have. For you can all prophesy one by one. And the point of this is so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And then down in verse 37, skipping a few verses, I'll get back to them. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in order. So let me read this whole section again, because the reason I skipped over 34 uh, through 36, I'll explain in a second. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Did you see how smoothly those two paragraphs transitioned to one another? Okay, so that's that's it. The emphasis here is all may prophesy, all can learn, all can be exhorted, all things uh, are to be done properly and in order. But you can't have all things if you don't have all things. So the fact that all things can be done this way means we have them to do. Simple enough? Okay. Now, 34 through 36, we'll look at now. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? Uh, that word improper means shameful, where it's used elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, there is some debate about the word translated woman, uh, whether it should be woman in general or wife. There's all kinds of stuff in here. Now, I hope you guys know that I take the scripture seriously. <laughs> and I feel a sense of obligation to take it seriously. So this is how I deal with something 
that has real questions in, in my heart and mind and textual questions about it. So there's a context, and then I want to read something out of David Bentley Hart's notes. So Paul's own context for this conversation started with, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. So the question I have to ask myself is all, does all include only men? Or does it include women? And then if you back up to to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul obviously has expectations that form his instruction. And the expectation is, Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. So, seeing as how the comparison here is between a man having his head covered and a woman, uh, I mean a man not, not having his head covered and a woman having her head covered, the thing that's not in contrast is they're both prophesying and praying. So Paul's given instruction with the assumption that both men and women are going to prophesy and pray. Now, you could say, well, yeah, but he's not talking, that's going into their private life, doesn't mean church. But chapter 11 is right in the middle of church. It's right in the middle of communion. It's right in the middle of no division. It's right in the middle of of, uh, his instruction to the Corinthians for how they get together when they have their feast. So, so there's one more scripture that the Lord took me to that, that sort of sealed, I mean, he spoke to me about actually. And it sort of sealed up this, this thought for me. Obviously, we don't have a, a strict policy that uh, Tommy and Jessica and, <laughs> and Meg and Becky couldn't speak, right? I know, I know, I know. And uh, did you quote the scripture to her is the question. Um, so anyway, oh, I don't, I don't have it. I got to... I gotta get my other Bible. Sorry. I forgot that I was gonna go to this one. So one of the things that gives me permission to take a second or third look at this is, uh, is Paul's intention. The other one that the Lord brought me to was in the book of Acts and back in Joel. So, uh, in Acts it reads this way. And it shall come to pass in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. That word is a euphemistic translation of the word sarks. It's flesh. I will pour out my spirit of my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women. This is an emphasis in the prophetic word, right? Both men and women. I will pour forth my spirit and they shall, on that day and they shall prophesy. So as significant as it is to understand and to see in the writing in 1 Corinthians for me, that Paul's context comes with the expectation that men and women are both going to prophesy and pray. God's declaration that that is the outpouring, the purpose of the outpouring of his spirit. And Peter's declaration that this thing you guys are saying happened that we're drunk over. No, this is what Joel prophesied, and he quoted that very thing. So, let me now read what David Bentley Hart has to say about this. So, uh, about these verses, what Hart does in his translation is he uh, puts them in brackets and then puts this note on it. 
These verses are a considerable textual problem as they clearly constitute an interpolation that breaks the flow of the text. And what do you mean? You, know, you see what he means by that, right? In other words, Paul's talking about an argument about prophecy in tongues, prophecy in tongues, prophecy in tongues, prophecy in tongues, all the way through it. And this jumps in the middle. Um, and that seems written in a voice unlike Paul's and that contradicts other passages in Paul. Simply on its face, the argument reads coherently only when these verses are removed. Paul is talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy and about which communicates God's word to those outside the inner circle and about how to maintain order and clarity in the enunciation of the gospel. In fact, the insertion is so awkward that it obviously interrupts a single thought. Paul exhorts the Corinthians to heed the example of all the churches and then emphasizes his point with a rhetorical question of whether instead they think the gospel is their exclusive property. The interpolation, interpolated verses not only make no sense here, they deprive the surrounding verses of the sense that unites them. From a broader perspective, moreover, it is absolutely clear from the discussion on women's head coverings in chapter 11 above, and particularly at 11.5, that Paul fully expects women to speak and prophesy in church, and clearly approves of the practice so long as women do not provocatively flaunt their glorious, quote, hair while doing so. And in fact, the whole tenor of Paul's genuine writing is one of the almost unprecedented egalitarianism with regard to the sexes, Galatians 3.28, perhaps being the most famous, and that's one where it says there's neither male nor female, that kind of thing. Um, but seven, four above, no less extraordinary for its time. Uh, moreover, the paleographic evidence is suggestive. A good number of early Western texts of the New Testament locate these verses, not after verse 33, but after the now traditional final verse of the chapter, verse 40 instead, Though they, uh, the manuscripts from the 12th century called Minuscule 88 does the same, a manuscript, though with editorial markings that seem to suggest these verses might be better placed as they are here. The 6th century Codex Flodinius argument, uh, arguably the nearest thing to a critical edition produced in the late Antique West, places editorial notations after verse 33, directing the reader to the foot of the page where our verses 37 through 40 are written about uh, out a second time, either to suggest that the questionable verses might better be placed there, or to note that the text might be better read without those verses at all. Most tellingly of all, perhaps, a 4th century Greek manuscript, Codus Vaticanus, has the editorial mark between verse 33 and those verses which seems to indicate a textual dubiousism regarding either the questionable verses themselves or the placement of the text. In any event, the best critical scholarship regards these verses as later and rather amalgamated interpolation perhaps drawn from 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, which talks about uh, women um, learning in, in quiet and the, the stuff that he talks about there. And there's a whole big study that could be doing that. Um, and the evidence preponderantly indicates that they are almost certainly a spurious addition. Now, not everybody believes that. And I'm always very uh, cautious to feel like I have liberty to X out of scripture. But the combination of the flow of the text, the obvious disconnectedness with Paul giving instruction about how women are to prophesy and pray, and basically how he treats and thinks about women. And then there's another amazing study. I listened to Tom Wright talk about it. And it's uh, there's a lot of, uh, on this stuff in Romans. The letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, he chose a woman to deliver and there are certain uh, schools of thought that try to turn that into a masculine name just like they try to turn Junius 
into a masculine name who's claimed to be an apostle by Paul. But it's not. It's a feminine name. And so um, I don't have any sense of flippancy or superiority. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think this verse fits here. I'm not even sure that it was something that Paul wrote. And as such, I'm not, obviously, going to make this enforcement. One other thing that I will share that I, I, uh, I think is funny. There are a few Pentecostal churches, Pentecostal denominations that are pretty hard on women because of this verse uh, and the one in, in the First Timothy. The, the majority of people you get arguing about women not being able to speak in church and it being shameful for them to do so, however, in our culture, are fundamentalist uh, churches, most of which are also cessationist. You know what cessationist is? People that don't believe in the gifts. I think it's freaking hilarious that you build an entire doctrine to keep women being able to speak legitimately in church out of verses 33 through 36. And you don't. Paul says, don't prohibit speaking in tongues. Not only do you prohibit it, you say it's of the devil. So the arguments that percolate up from that perspective, I think are nonsense. So ladies, you are free to speak. And if you start yelling and screaming all the time, uh, I'll be intimidated and I won't do a thing. No, I will. <laughs> I'll think, maybe maybe we are talking about First Timothy now. Anyway, so, I, I felt like it was important to not skip those or, you know, but I also don't know if, yeah, come on. If, you know, I, I, I can imagine that some of you may have fought through some of that. Some of you gals may have fought through that kind of stuff at some point in time. And uh, I just want you to be free that you don't have to do that here. And I don't think you have to do it before the Lord. Oh, there is one other kind of important thing. Jesus chose a woman to carry the news of his resurrection to his unbelieving male disciples. And when they didn't believe her, he rebuked them. Check it out in Mark. Yes, Are you aware of a historical context of the Corinthians church and what Paul may have been speaking to? Yeah, the idea of the Temple there? Diana and how, yeah, that's a big long, but it is true. Yeah. There was a, there were, uh, uh, the whole Artemis Diana thing was, was basically ruled by women, governed by sex, all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was just all out and out paganism. And there was, uh, there was, some people have said that this was a reference to that in some way. Um, I don't, yeah, probably some of those oracle things. That's how they were depicted anyway. So I don't really know. I, I don't know all the detail about it, but yeah, I've heard that that's there. Um, and then, you know, I like having the cover of something like that. I'm not suggesting that's what you said, but I like having some kind of historical cover and sure there's something to it because it's just very intimidating and it feels very awkward to say, I don't think we need to pay attention to this. But I will, I will say this, and this is why the passage in Acts and in Joel was so significant to me. Whether we like it or not, every time we read the Scripture, we have to interpret it. 
And I don't care how many times somebody tells you or you say, the Scripture clearly says, no, it doesn't. (laughs) It said something in one of five languages in antiquity. And then those five languages got reduced down into other languages, and then they got reduced down into varieties of dialects in English for us. In Spanish, if you happen to be reading a Spanish Bible, or French, or German, or whatever else. So, the Bible is an amazing revelation, just like what Al read in the verse that he had read in Timothy. It is inspired, it is to reveal who God is, but who God is also dramatically needs to govern our interpretation, needs to factor into it. And that's why when the Lord reminded me of the thing in Acts, this is what I intended to do. I intended to pour my spirit out so your sons and daughters would prophesy. And if you want to legalize that prophecy down to the point where, uh, let's see here, Sterling or Riley or Greg, you as young men, you can't have dreams. Only old farts like me and Ronnie can have dreams. <laughs> you know, fine, go ahead and do that. But you can't argue away that God poured out His Spirit and that is equated with the book of Acts account of that so that you and you and you and you and you can prophesy. Yes. Oh, hi, Patricia. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Um, It's kind of strange when you were talking, this impression came to me from God. So I don't know that it's a prophecy or a, a word. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, sir, I'm a woman, I'm female. I'm nothing else, but I am a prophet. Yes. And I operate in the office of a prophet. So that's what God told me a long time ago. But anyways, while I was sitting here, um, this thought came to me, and I just pondered it and thought, wow, this is interesting. So... I'm going to share it with you and um, and whoever's there. And I I guess I'll reference the scripture that you used in uh, verse 32. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. The thought that came to me is um, if, let's see, how do I say this, God? Um, if we negated that and said, well, women can't uh, prophesy, they can't speak, then uh, we should also say that no one can. Now, follow my, my, my direction the way I'm going. I hope that I'm making sense. That no one can. And the reason why is if we believe that the Holy Spirit is female and is the female side of God, then um, she is the one that prophesies through us when we prophesy. She is the one that um, manifests the gifts in and through us. So if you negate women from um, talking or sharing um, like you said, a psalm, uh, a song, uh, tongues, any of that, 
you are negating the Holy Spirit. So, so you see that? Um, he just dumped that. Or, or I don't like to use the word dump, but he did download it into me. Okay. For you to consider in everyone there that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is the female side of God. I mean, some people don't know that yet, or they don't believe that, or whatever, but um, she'll show them who she is. <laughs> Praise God. All right, so here's an example of <clears throat> let one prophesy and the others evaluate, judge, think through this, bring clarity. So let's do it. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks for being uh, obedient. Amen. Okay, so... Any thoughts, comments, questions before we get to worship? Yes, sir. I just wanted to thank you for hitting on scriptures like this. These aren't tough. Probably not very popular, so I appreciate your courage. Not really afraid of anything in scripture, and I want to encourage people to not be. As someone who has not yet spoken in tongues, mm -hmm. but desires it, I just want to say this has been incredibly encouraging. Just a very encouraging session. And I, I do think that um, maybe I'm a little bit biased. I grew up in the Bible Belt, and it was Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. You know, Spirit mm -hmm. might have mm -hmm. snuck in sometimes, but wasn't invited. Um, <laughs> so I do think sometimes just the, the printed words here, we put too much emphasis on those, and those came down through the hands of men. Mm -hmm. And the, the early church didn't have this. Mm -hmm. they, they had the Spirit. He, he communicated through the body. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a very encouraging session. Praise God. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, very good. I'm not trying to shut down uh, questions before the really hard ones come, but Father, thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you announced beforehand in absolutely crystal clear, uh, no uncertainty at all terms, that you... We're going to pour your spirit out on all flesh. And that included the female flesh, the male flesh, the servant flesh, the handmaiden flesh, the old guy's flesh, the young guy's flesh, just all the flesh. So Lord, we, we are blessed to be beneficiaries, Holy Spirit, of your presence with us. We thank you that you enable us to live like Jesus did when he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. You're fulfilling your commission to convict us to believe in Jesus. You are fulfilling your conviction to lead us into all truth and to take everything that the Father has given to Jesus and declare it over us. You are granting us authority beyond what we can imagine and well beyond what we've learned to exercise. And so uh, you embody, Holy Spirit, what Jesus said to the flock when he said um, little flock don't be afraid the father delights to give you his kingdom and so Lord we appreciate that we receive it and we welcome you to have your way in our midst Holy Spirit Amen